All right, all right, everybody. Welcome back to the King's Council podcast. Buckle up today, because in the studio, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see Christian and I got a motivational speaker. We've got an entrepreneur and just a, a freaking a, a bull. In, uh, is that a, what, a bull in the China closet? Is that what you are, Keenan? Mr. Keenan Williams, welcome <laughs> to the show, brother. Welcome, brother. I thought you were talking about multiple people there with, with like, that introduction. Yeah, that's yeah, that's all guy. one dude. He's, he's all in one, man. He's got the whole couch to himself. Yeah, this is pretty cool. Keenan, man. too. Pumped to have you on the show. This is going to be fantastic. Yes. So I'm actually, just for our listeners here, we, Keenan and I met a couple months ago just briefly, and, and Christian and him have, have uh, been, you know, building a relationship, and uh, we've just got to spend a little bit of time rapping about just, like, what's going on in, in our lives and just some amazing things that we're going to dive into today. But I think we're going to talk about money. We're going to talk about mindset. Uh, who knows where this thing is going to go? So when I say buckle up, that's what I mean. Buckle up. It's going to be good. Yeah. Yeah, Keenan and I, uh, I mean, man, just want to say you've been a blessing in my life. And Vice versa. I don't know if you remember, it was probably about two months ago, I, I was just having one of those days, I was stressed out and just feeling like defeated. And this guy calls me and I said, what's up, Keenan? And he just spoke for about 15 minutes and it was straight from the Lord. And it was the word that, that I needed. It, it changed my countenance and changed my day. And so... You know, a lot of people walk around saying they're motivational speakers, yeah. but you're a motivational speaker, not in the sense that you just get somebody pumped up, but you actually, you have the ability because of the Holy Spirit that's in you to actually speak to somebody's soul. And, and mm -hmm. it, your words cut, man, in a good way, in a bad way, in a good way to encourage mm -hmm. and in a, a, a bad way, perhaps for the person hearing it because- <laughs> A little accountability? Yeah, yeah, a little accountability, a little conviction, but yeah. it's needed, yeah. man. So I appreciate you, brother. Conviction, not condemnation. Right. Yeah, big difference. Yeah. yeah. We good. all need motivated. I mean, David said, I encourage myself. Yeah. Yeah. Motivation is a ministry. You know, I've heard yeah. people speak against, like, you're a motivational speaker. That's not meant it. No, yes, it is. There are a lot of people that need motivated. Yeah. And as long as we're being motivated out of the word of God, mm -hmm. right. then it's, it's solid motivation. You know, it's, there's principles involved in it. Yeah. Not just... Uh, a fact or not just a thought or an opinion, but it's actually coming out of the Word of God. Yeah. I mean, just think about when you say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I used to say that in my prison cell 40, 50 times a day. I would walk around saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Why? Because my mind was being bombarded with my past. Mm -hmm. And in my present is, is a prison and people saying that you'll never become this and this is jailhouse religion and you'll always be in and out. You'll always be, a, you know, gang member or on drugs and so that that scripture for me motivated me I, I had to learn how to speak to myself because what people were saying was not working yeah and that came out of the word do you, do you think it motivated you or inspired you because it did both okay it inspired me but it also motivated me it made me want to go get it yeah you know, mo because motivation I, that's like how I understand the difference between the two like when you're motivated like people are motivated to go to work because they get a paycheck. They're, they're motivated for like an external cause or a purpose mm -hmm. where inspiration is, is probably more along the purpose. It's like they're, they're so inspired yeah. from the root word in spirit. Like you're motivated because you want to change. You want to do better. You want to do things. But that ultimately led to being inspired. Would they you both say that? work at the same time. Yeah. You can be inspired or motivated at the same time. Yeah. Inspiration is, is not motivation, and motivation is not inspiration. Mm -hmm. They're both separate. They both have their own defining to them, 
but they go together. For sure. Because if I'm inspired, if I can inspire you and then motivate you, then the inspiration that I gave, I can put it into action because now you're motivated to do it. It's good. It's good. It's good. Yeah, brother. So you just mentioned when you were in, in prison. and I was in prison? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, I almost made a black joke right there. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> hey. For, hey. For those listening. Yeah, uh, I, I have a pass. My wife is black. My kids are black, so I have a pass. Um, so. <laughs> you can say anything to me. I'm real free. I might say some crazy stuff. So. You have to charge it to my head, not my heart. Uh, so I, I'm fascinated. I've heard your testimony but, but I'm fascinated because not only do you have a, a an unbelievable testimony, but now you you walk out your life as not just a successful Christian as uh, success in in the spiritual sense, but you're you're balling, brother. I mean, you, you you're not afraid to be a Christian who makes money, and you we speak so much on money being a tool and how we as the body of Christ need to simply use it as a tool to advance the kingdom of God here on earth. Yeah. and dude you get it. You get it 100%. So I don't have a choice but to get it. Talk to us. I yeah, knew one mean? day they would kick me out of prison with $50 in a bus ticket. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And say go live. Yeah. Now so were, were, were you a believer when you went to prison? I wouldn't no, not when I went to prison, of course not. It okay. took me, you know, when I hit prison, I had been, you know, a gang member for years. I'd been shot 6 times, you know, in and out of jail over 45 times. Um, survived two hits. Hold on, 45 times? Yeah, more than that. In and out of jail over 45 times. Wow. Uh, survived two hits uh, from a rival, a gang and drug dealer. Yeah. Um, and so when I hit, you know, and then I was hooked on crack cocaine for seven years mm. and homeless for four years. You know, from 89 to 93, I didn't, I was homeless. I didn't have a you know, house or friends or anywhere to live. So I lived in Salvation Army and vacant houses and you know, wherever I could sleep, sure. even on the corner at times, you know, I was that guy. Um, so for the first four years of prison, I was still angry, I was frustrated, I was hurt. You know, no one raises their hand in the third grade and say, I wanna be on crack cocaine, or I wanna be a gang member, or I wanna go get shot, uh, go to jail. You don't do that. Yeah. When you're in the third grade, you have dreams, you have aspirations. You know, you have a vision of what your life is going to be that you hope for, and then somewhere that gets shattered. Hmm. And in that shattering, the shattering causes trauma. And if there's no healing in the trauma, you start making your decisions out of that trauma. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so my decisions were started being made out of that trauma, which was very unhealthy, it was toxic, and it led me into drugs, alcohol, jails, and prisons. But my heart was never sold out to that. You know, I would be, I remember days, man, I'd be smoking crack cocaine and crying at the same time. Mm. People look like, why are you crying? I'm like, this is not what I wanted for my life, right. you know, or, you know, I, I had a bad habit of robbing, you know. I went to prison, one of my charges was aggravated robbery, but I will say that I didn't rob regular people. I was, I only robbed drug dealers, so I was an ethical robber. You know? <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, like Omar. Yeah, I had some etiquette with my, yeah, 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 you know, I had some etiquette with my robbing, you yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> I didn't rob old ladies or pe yeah, regular right. people, I just robbed drug dealers. Yeah, they had the money the and the drugs, you know, so, um, you know, but people, you know, pe people are different, and, and as you're going through those hard times, people say hard things, and it can affect your identity. But I still knew deep down inside somewhere that, that God had something for me. I just couldn't get it out. I didn't know how to, to break free, you know, and I hated Christians, man. So 
Was I a Christian before? No. I, I freak, listen, I remember my uncle was telling me about Jesus. His name is Jeray. Uh, he was telling me about Jesus, and I was so angry. I wrapped him up in a blanket and drug him outside in the rain and locked him out. Mm. Why were you angry? Because the Christians, when I was on drugs and on the streets, I remember I knew it was Sunday because I saw people with the nice hats and nice clothes and the nice cars, mm. right? And I knew they were going to the place with the steeple with the cross on it. So they were representing, you know, being a Christian. But those were some of the meanest people in the world. Mm. You know, they would see me on the corner and they would lock those doors. Some were afraid, but then some did it and they would look at me or they would make statements like, get a life or stop doing drugs or you should be ashamed of yourself or I can't believe you're living your life. I'm like, man, why are you talking to me like that? You don't even, you don't even know me. You don't even know why I'm in the situation that I'm in. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, because I, I got hurt in football my senior year uh, as a preseason blue chipper. You know, I was getting ready. I had 50, 60 colleges chasing me. Got hurt, total reconstruction, no more football. Parents go through a divorce. Or I find out about divorce the same week. So now everything in my life is destroyed at one time, and I'm lying on the couch at 17 years old. I don't know what I'm going to do. I live in the hood. You know, in the hood, I go to the left, there's the gang members, and I go to the right, there's the drug dealers, right? In the hood is, in case you don't know, it's where the black people live. <laughs> Ebonical translation. <laughs> Ebonical translation. <laughs> you know, it'd be the hood. I tell people all the time, it's called Planned Parenthood for a reason. <laughs> it was always a plan for the hood. Mm -hmm. Are you with Man. me? Yeah. Margaret Sanger was e evil. Yeah, she, she was, was smart. Mm. It was Planned Parenthood. Mm. She was a racist. She wanted to kill as many black babies as she could. Yeah, that's another story. We'll talk about yeah. that. Later. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I, you know, I ended up joining the gang and quitting high school with two weeks left. Yeah, and uh, you know, hitting those streets real fast and hard, and being angry. You know, that's that's what I was doing. You know, so when I hit prison, it was it was it was crazy because I could never imagine. I didn't even drink or do drugs in high school. Mm. You know, uh, I I couldn't imagine being in prison, but I was there. And of course, I was still in the gang, and then I started leading the gang, one of the gangs while I was in prison. I never talk about the gang I was in because I glorify God, not gangs, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but the fourth year into prison, uh, you know, some things started happening to me. I started really sensing God speaking to me uh, because I became very attracted to the Muslims who had discipline, who carried their Quran, yeah. who would never throw their Bibles on the bunk. They would set it on their hill neatly. Uh, they were very family-oriented. They were a unit. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. yeah. And I like that mm -hmm. versus I would see the Christians were scattered all over the place. Yep. Mm -hmm. yep. And then I would find Bibles in the trash can or I would find them underneath the, you know. So I was like, okay, I'm going to try the Muslim thing. So I became a Muslim. Wow. You know, four years in, I changed my name to Ishmael Atab Rahid uh, as a Muslim. And the thing is, is that I would go to uh, to, to the mosque in prison. They called it the mosque. We would go there to pray, and I'd wash my hands, wash my feet, you know, my, my face, and I would go in, and I would read the Quran, and I would go through all the acts. But it didn't move in my heart. I, would still, I was still angry. I was still frustrated. I was still, dis you know, but I learned some very good disciplines from the Muslims. Uh, I don't condemn Muslim faiths. I don't condemn any faith. I don't condemn whoever you, I don't own heaven or hell, so who am I to condemn you or sure, criticize you, sure. right? 
so I found a lot of appreciation in the Muslim faith. But four years in, and becoming a Muslim, changing my name, uh, I, was, I was slowly starting to develop some discipline that I was chasing, but I was really chasing God more than I was chasing the discipline, but I wasn't finding God in what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we had a lockdown on the prison. There was a riot, and I was in Ad Seg by myself because as a gang member, you know, a leader of the gang, they want to find out what's going on. Is it over, you know? Man, and I'm in there, and I had a conversation with God a few days in. And it was really cool the way it happened because uh, at 10 o'clock, the lights would go out. And then at 4 in the morning is when they feed you breakfast in prison. Still hadn't figured out where 4 in the morning. Like, they feed you breakfast at 4 in the morning, right? Lights go out, 10. I'm start talking to God. I hadn't talked to him in a long time like this. And I finished, and the lights came on. I'm like, oh, okay, they must be getting ready to come get me, take me out, ask, you know, come shake me down, whatever it was. But breakfast comes. They send it in the door. I'm like, why are they like what are they why are they giving me breakfast? I'm thinking I've been talking like 30 minutes or yeah. whatever. I literally talked to God from 10 to 4 o'clock in the morning mm. for six hours. And all day, man, I was trying to figure out where the time went. Was I asleep? Was I dreaming? Did I just think I talked that long? Or you know, I didn't know. I was clueless, right? Yeah. I didn't realize that sometimes getting into him in that place of worship. In that private place, time has no relevance mm. in that space. Um, so I said, man, I'm going to do that again because it felt good, you know. I did it again the next day. And there used to be some guys that would come in from uh, prison ministry, like Bill Glass Ministries would come in and they would, you know, tell me about it. This old guy would always chase me down. I'm like, man, look, I don't like the Christians. I don't want to hear about the Jesus stuff. And so for a few years, this guy would still come into the cell where I was. He would come into the tank, he would look for me specifically, and he'd come to my door and say, hey, I just want to tell you, you know that Jesus loves you and so do I anytime you want to talk, I'm here. I'm like, nah, I'm good, man, I'm good. So I remember this guy when I was in at SIG and I'm talking to God that second night. And I said the craziest thing, I said, you know, if the Jesus thing is what I need to do to be better or to do who I to become who I am. I'm okay. I didn't know there was a prayer of salvation back then. I didn't even, I never heard of a prayer of salvation. Dude, I get, the Holy Spirit hits me. I get baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm on fire. I'm running around a cell yelling mm. like I had lost my mind. I couldn't control myself because whatever it was hit me and it totally invaded my body and took over. The guards are at the door because they thought I had lost my mind. Yeah. So they're getting ready to come in. Because people go crazy in that say They kill yeah. themselves. And I started calming down, and I said, no, I'm okay. Jesus is real, and something is happening to me. I get out of Ad Seg a few days later, and I go straight, and I go get a Bible. I get the Bible, and I realized when I started reading, I didn't know where to start. I didn't know what to do. But one of the first scriptures I read was Romans 12 and 2 where he says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, and, and then the, the other part that really got me says, so that you can prove what is the good and acceptable will of God. And I said, okay, this thing has to be proven. How's it proven? I have to learn how to think different. So I started reading. My, the last two years of prison, I read 248 books. I consumed myself with bio biographies. 
uh, books on America, the Constitution, everything. I was reading anything I could get my hands on. Stop watching television. Uh, God started teaching me about the law of subtraction in prison. Uh, the law of subtraction is this. I started subtracting the wrong people from my life. Mm. I started subtracting the wrong places from my life. I started subtracting the wrong thoughts from my mindset. Mm. Um, and then after the law of subtraction, he taught me the law of honor. Uh, as I began to read the commandments of God, they were all dealing with honor. You know, and he would tell me, you know, uh, to honor the guards, honor the wardens. So I started honoring these guys, right? I would read about Joseph who honored the guards, yeah. and he honored the king. And because of it, they trusted him. And pretty soon they started trusting me, right? Because I showed them honor. And Joseph had, you know, was in prison, and then he went from prison to the palace. And in 1996, the craziest thing when I was reading that, I said, okay, if Joseph went from the prison to the palace, I can go from the prison to the White House. And it was like a revelation hit me, and I said, oh, my God, I'm going to the White House. And everyone's laughing at me, of course, right? Because that was not conducive to my environment. <laughs> They're like, man, what are you talking about? I said, man, I'm telling you, I know I'm going to go to the White House, right? This is 96. So then I learned the law of preparation. Preparation is the proof of your faith, right? You're either preparing to succeed or you're preparing to fail, mm -hmm. right? People talk about faith. Well, faith is preparation, preparing what you see. So I started preparing for that. I started, I would go and I would go to the chow hall and I started eating slow because I, I, I was thinking, okay, when I eat with the president or I eat with dignitaries, I need to eat like a man with integrity and not a savage. Because in prison, you're like, oh, you got to eat fast, man. You right. know, they got yeah. like 11 minutes when you hit it, and you got to sit down, you got to eat everything up, and then the guard comes by, he hits the table, you got to get up, and people are like eating, going to the chute to throw their tray in because you got to get up. Sure. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to hold my posture. I'm going to take my time. I don't have any money. Nobody's sending me any money, but God, I'm expecting for you to give me provision because you're my provider. There's so many days I didn't finish that tray because I wanted to eat right. And God's like, why do you hold your back like that? And why do you eat so slow? I said, because I'm, I'm preparing to go where God's going to take me to the White House. And pretty soon, the same guys started eating at my table. And then they started eating slow. And then they started watching their posture. And then the whole tank, the, the, the cell where I, the tank that I was in, I, I watched Jesus and me start affecting everyone in that place, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I, the law of honor, you know, I, I remember getting in school. I, I, I knew that I needed to get educated. And I knew education would be the key or one of the keys to success because I, you know, Moses, I sort of reminded myself of Moses. Like I found my identity in him. Uh, Moses was born a Hebrew, but he was raised Egyptian mm -hmm. with the best education, right? Yeah. So he was really too much of a Hebrew to ever be an Egyptian, but he was too much of an Egyptian to be a Hebrew. He struggled with that, right? But God used both of those situations to make him the greatest deliverer of all times other than Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So for me, I grew up in the hood, but there were four streets that were bust to the neighborhood. So I grew up with all blacks in my hood, but I was bused to all white school, 95% white, because I lived on one of those streets. So I learned how to move very fluently in the white world and in the black world. So it wasn't a big deal to me. I could be in a room full of, it doesn't matter. I don't even think that way. I just make the adjustment, right? And so I said, okay, it's like Moses. Like sometimes I feel like I'm too white 
to be black, but I'm too black to be white because mm. I could go to the hood and say, hey, why do you talk so proper? And then I have to check myself and say, okay, let me make the adjustment. And then I go back to some of my friends like, why'd you just say that? I said, oh, okay, I'm back in this environment. Let me make that adjustment, you know? But it really qualified me to, for God to be able to use me in any arena, mm. right? I became very fluent in, 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 in those aspects. Uh, and so I needed to get in school and man, I wrote the warden over 150 letters. They wouldn't let me in school because I was a gang member. I'm like, I'm not a gang member anymore. I'm not a gang member. I quit. I need school. So one day, one day, this is when God taught me the law of persistence. The wardens, uh, he's coming, and I knew the warden was there because you hear the guards on the radio, and then they're all standing up straight, and everybody's at their post. Okay, the yeah. warden's here. So we're going out to chow, and I look, and I saw that big cowboy hat that he had on. I said, there's Warden Jones right there. I said, here's my opportunity man, I start going around guys, the guards are like, Williams, what are you doing? Get back in place. I said, no, I got to get to Warden Jones, you know? Because by this time, they knew that I was a straight guy. I was, you know, I was by the book, man. I was really walking in integrity. Man, I'm going all around, and I finally get close to Warden Jones, and I yell his name. I said, Warden Jones. And he turns around with this big cowboy hat, and he says, Williams, I know who you are. If you don't write me any more letters, I'll let you in school. I said, yes, sir, that's all I want. <laughs> that taught me persistence demands an opportunity when there's not one. Mm, that's good. Persistence with integrity. I had good intentions, right? I get in school. I'm educating myself. You know, I'm, I'm reading the word of God, man. I'm hanging out there. E everything that I have to say, there's nothing that I, that I do is not, is not based off the word of God. Even, it, it doesn't matter what it is. You know, I could even act like a heathen sometime and go, I would go hang out at times, man, and go to a club and go dance. And, you know, you want to go have a good time, right? I like to have a good time. Man, there'd be times, and I was single, and I see this beautiful chick, and I'm getting my Mac on, and then all of a sudden, I start talking. I'm now ministering to her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> What's your name? This, and I'm asking questions, and now I'm pouring the word of God. Now she's crying. Now I'm holding her. Now we're praying together. I'm like, man, God, you messed my night up again. <laughs> you know, God, crap, you know. Yeah. You know, because when it's in you, it comes out of you, you, yeah, know? Right. you, you, you know, in those situations. So, uh, you know, as I began to come out of prison, um, I, I knew, number one, I knew that, that doors would, would open up for me because I was going to demand them. You know, excellence demands a door when there's not one. Yeah. Mm. So learning how to walk in the excellence of God will demand doors and people will create opportunities for you. And there's, they'll make a position up for you because everyone's looking for excellence, yeah. you know? Uh, everyone's looking for excellence. This place is looking for excellence. You're looking for excellence with your employees. Yep. You know, everyone's looking for that. So God taught me, just be excellent. I'm not that all the time, but my goal is to always operate in excellence. You know, I took air-conditioned refrigeration, man. After the, we were done, I would clean the tools up, and I'd put everything in place when the other guys were taken off to go play dominoes at the sale. And I knew that if I did it there, I would do it when I got out. Mm -hmm. So, you know... Coming out of prison and, and hanging out in the word and, and putting a plan together. You know, he says, write the vision and make it plain. So I was the only guy in prison that had a had a plan, uh, had a, a schedule every day. I wrote my schedule every day, you know, yeah. even though there were things that I had to do for the prison, like as far as work. But I would schedule my times of study and my times of fellowship, my times of working out, and I would write it down. I would discipline myself with that, you know. Uh, and that stuff is carried on because I read in the book that uh, 
95, uh, there was a 5% that went to Harvard that excelled above the 95%. Same classes, same grades, same education. And the only difference was this. They wrote down their goals every day. Yeah. Yeah. Just something so simple. You know, so I started doing things like that in prison. And again, walking around those sales, man, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm the head, not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. Convincing myself and motivating myself as I'm being inspired by the word that I can do all things, you know. And I came out, you know, the next day, and I'm going to shorten this testimony because I hate talking about me sometimes, right? But maybe someone needs to hear it. Yeah. You know, I got out the, uh, the very next day and, uh, you know, went to my mother's house. Man, I had a routine. I jump up at 4 o'clock in the morning. I'm doing my 500 push-ups. I'm getting cleaned up. I'm brushing my teeth. My mom walks in. She's like, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to go get a job. It's like 4.30 in the morning. I said, I know. I'm, I'm going to leave it by 5. She says, you just got out of prison. I said, I know, but I need to go get a job because I need to go make some money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like right now, you know? Uh, you know, I tell guys all the time, if the money is funny, so is the honey. You got to have money, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Man, brother, I wrote down the, the places around my mother's house because uh, I took the air-conditioned refrigeration. I walked around the first place. I get there by 5.30. I got my certificate, my white T-shirt on, my jeans that I got when I came out of prison, you know? I had $50 when I left. I gave 25 to one of the guys because I wanted to sow seed immediately. Yeah, yeah. I believe in sowing and reaping. So I'm always sowing seed. I'm always sowing seed. I believe right now I still reap harvest of seed I've sown 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Right? When things just show up, I'm like, how did that just happen? Well, really, it was the seed I sowed. Right. And now I'm getting the fruit. Right. right. Yeah. So I'm standing there, and this little bitty short white guy walks around the corner, and it's dark. It's 5.30 in the morning, and I'm by the bushes by the front door. Scared the crap out of me. I said, hey, it's okay. It's okay. I'm just here to get a job. He said, well, young man, it's like 5.30 in the morning. I said, I know. He said, well, come back at 8. We are hiring. Uh, talk with my secretary. I said, no, no, no. I'm going to wait right here. Uh, I read that, you know, first impressions could last throughout the day. I don't want any room, anyone to ruin my opportunity to work for you. And now he's looking at me. I got his attention. Mm-hmm. Who's this cat? He goes, just give me a few minutes. He comes back, give me 545. He brings me in. I give him my certificate, tell him I just got out of prison after six years. I said, there's no one that you have that can outwork me, has more honor, more integrity, more dignity, and more valuable to your company than me. Six o'clock that morning, I was working. Hmm. Fifteen minutes later, 30 days later, I was running my own crew because afterwards the guys would take off to go get a drink at the bar. I didn't drink. I haven't had a drink or drug since 1993, 30 Hmm. years. The guys would, man, they take off to go get a drink, and I would stay at the shop, and I would clean the tools, and I would line them up by the door so when the trucks pull in, everything was in order. So he would come out. He said, hey, why do you do that all the time? I said, because employees spend 50% of their time looking for something that's not where it's supposed to be. If we're going to be effective as a company and we're going to really grow, we have to have order. So 30 days later, I'm running my own crew. 60 days later, I'm running all of the crews. 90 days in, he pulls me in his office. He says, hey, you're really good with the people and the guys. You know, I see some leadership. Won't you come to a couple of meetings with me? And, man, I started closing customers and getting deals. And six months later, I decided to start my own company, a logistics company. Uh, figured out some things to do to expedite some shipping and receiving uh, where my dad was. And uh, I knew it was there, and I just told him I could do better. And he told the owner, and uh, I, the owner said, well, let's see what you can do. And I killed it. So... You know, I became one of the, made that company one of the uh, top companies as far as uh, expediency on shipping and receiving. 
because of logistics and the way that I was doing things. And my first year out of prison, uh, I made $120,000, six figures. Hmm. And nine, from 98 to 99, I made six figures, right? Ex-felon, aggravated robbery, deadly weapon, bodily injury, unauthorized use of motor vehicle, forgery, assault, uh, terroristic threat, unlawful carrying a weapon, um, conspiracy, gang member, drug charges, those were dropped, and I made $120,000. Wow. And this is why I made $120,000, because I knew that no one could stop me but me. Mm. Because I don't have to worry about my past. Paul said this one thing I do that really resonated with me. He said this one thing I do, not 10, not 20. Sometimes we outthink ourselves. He says, I forget those things that are behind, mm. and I press forward towards the mark of the prize. Okay. And when I read that, I said, God, you're telling me to forget my past. Yes, forget your past. Sometimes we're the only ones that remember what our past was. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. I said, but and, and guys would say, yeah, but you got your you got an X on your back. And then I read where he says that grace and mercy would follow me all the days of my life. Mm. So I don't have to worry about an X on my back because grace and mercy is following me. Yeah. My next year, I made like two sixty, and I'm just giving numbers because I want people to understand the importance of it. My third year out of prison. Uh, I jumped up to like a million dollars, right? I expanded from one warehouse to five warehouses. I had over 70 guys working for me. I was doing so well so fast, they thought I was selling drugs again, Yeah. right? Third year, uh, I go to a picnic with one of the DA agents that used to chase me, a friend of mine, and I met a judge, and I, got in, I ended up dating a judge and getting engaged to a judge my third year. After getting engaged to the judge, I go down to God and put it on my heart to all through prison, you know, um, the guy who arrested me was Alan Patton. Uh, Alan's in my book. He and I have spoken in schools together. Uh, Detective Alan Patton. Because this guy, man, when he was, um, are we good? I'm just changing directions here. I'm yeah, bro. We're good. Yeah. Keep it, keep yeah. it going. You know, yep. Some key points here. Um, you know, when Alan was looking for me uh, before I went to prison, they were harassing my family, and there were helicopters. Because I was a I was a bad actor at one time, you know. Um, I kept a gun. I always did crazy stuff. So, I, I my grandmother gave me the number that was on the card uh, because police would come in. They had my brother on the ground. They had dogs, you know. They were everywhere looking for me because uh, I was just doing crazy stuff, and I had all these warrants out. So I called Alan on the phone, and I said, Hey, look, this is Keenan Williams. Know you're looking for he says yes we are he said and i want you to know that we know you carry a gun and you know things could really get bad if if you don't turn yourself in i said well something of that sort and i said would you give me if i said if you give me 24 hours to spend with my family because i know i'm going to be going to prison for a long time then i'll turn myself in and white police officer black kid 1993 he says to me I'll give you 24 hours and I'll make sure that no one touches you. I said, okay. I believed him when he told me that, right? Mm -hmm. But he also believed me when I told him that. And so, you know, I gave, I went down, saw my family, police were everywhere and no one touched me. No one moved. I watched them, they watched me, nobody moved. Alan kept his word. So that really resonated with me through prison. Like, man, this guy wasn't chasing me because I was a black man. He wasn't trying to send me to prison because of the color of my skin. He was doing his job because I was committing crimes, you know? 
And that really, really resonated with me. And so I wanted to, to tell him, I wanted to ask for his forgiveness. So three years, I get engaged to the judge, man, and I'm rolling, and my businesses are going. I go down to the police station and ask, and ask for Alan Patton, you know. So I go in. He comes out. There's people everywhere, so I wave my hand so he'd know I'm the one that had him come out. So he's walking up, you know, real fast with that walk, you know, him. Great guy, man. And then he starts going a little slower because now he's recognized, like, okay, I know this guy, right? So I stick my hand out. I learned that handshake in my speech class in I went, ended up going to college while I was in prison as well for two years. Speech class, 90 degree angle symbolizes friendship, right? So I stick that hand out, man. And he comes and he's shaking my hand. And then I put my hand on his human touch, affection. It's always good for business, always good for relationships. Put my hand on his, learn that in class in, in prison. And he says, don't I know you? I said, yeah, I'm Keenan Williams. You sent me to prison about nine, eight or nine years ago. His heart starts beating in my hand. I felt it because he doesn't know why I'm. He don't know why I'm there, right. right? And I said immediately when I felt that, I said, "But I'm here to thank you because what you did changed my life." He's looking at me. He breaks down in tears and he's crying in the middle of the station. Now I'm crying. He's hugging me. He says, "I got to show you something." So he takes me upstairs on the police station, and we're walking. He's in front of me. I'm behind him. I'm used to being in front of the police, and <laughs> right. they're behind me, right? right? <laughs> so. <laughs> So I'm walking through, and man, some of the guys that had arrested me, they're looking like, they don't know what's going on. He takes me, sits me at his desk, he turns his computer on. He shows me his computer. He was typing his resignation. He says, I was typing my resignation because I didn't think that anyone cared about the job that I did. Hmm. Alan worked for 15 more years after that day. Wow. We became the best of friends. We spent lots of time together. We talked, scriptures. Alan gets saved. Now he's going into prisons, mm. doing prison ministry, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, you know, and then after that, you know, I, my businesses were first. And I had ups and downs. As an entrepreneur, you lose, you win, you know. And I started doing so well, I really lost sight of some things. And I started traveling a lot, ended up losing my company. Then I started a sign company and lost that and started another company, you know. And things just up and down, but, you know, everything has always been really, really uh, great for me because I've been blessed, you know, I've mm -hmm. been blessed and I understand the purpose of, you know, making money and, and blessing people, you know, now it's not just about making money. I want to empower more people because if I could employ more people and then empower them and teach them and share some things with them, then they can go out and start their own company. Right. I want them to, I want to change the dynamics in their family, you know? And, um, so then I, you know, eventually I started training police officers uh, when they're coming through the academy, I'll teach them about relationships, minority communities, how to understand, you know, you may see this kid, he's gangbanging, he's selling drugs, but that may not be where his heart is at. That's just where his head is at. Yep. So as a police officer, you need to understand that you need to build that relationship. Show him you're not the enemy. Speak into his life. And sometimes, man, you got to throw the crack sack away. Yep. You got to throw the weed sack away, right? Because this kid, or this young man may not understand the detriment of what he's doing to his life. Right. You understand it, you know? Um I eventually did, I've done conferences down in Galveston, and my ex-warden was there. You know, I trained all the wardens, parole officers, majors, all the heads of parole, all the wardens in the state of Texas. I uh, did a conference down there for the, uh, uh, the state of Texas, uh, re-entering the prison reform board. So it's been cool. I've really been blessed. Uh, it, and I didn't even tell this part. 2017, well, 2000 and I think it's 2013 or 14, 
as a motive, I started motivate being a motivational speaker, and I ended up getting in politics, uh, sort of organically, like it wasn't even intentional. I didn't know anything about politics, you know. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, I was vice president for the NAACP at the time. Okay. And but there was always a challenge, man, because it's like the things that they would share was not what, what was in my heart. I'm like, there's some conflict of interest or something ain't right. Yeah. You know? But I was hard headed. I would still do what was in my heart. It's like, I'm gonna do what God tells me to do. You like me, that's fine. If you don't like me, that's between you and God, right? And if you don't, you're one out of billions of people you just get replaced. Right. right. You know? But I'm gonna do the right thing and I'm gonna say whatever I want to say, you know. Um, but so I'm speaking at this event and for, for, for kids that are getting ready to go to college, and all these black people are there, right? Of course, NAACP black people are there. Uh, but there are two white guys there. And when there's two white guys in the audience, and there's all black, I promise you, you'll notice them. Right? <laughs> so they're really engaged, man. I'm speaking, I'm killing it, you know, I'm going around, I'm building up, talking about education, the importance of it. Um, and afterwards, one of the guys, he comes over, he says, man, that was so powerful, I'm so proud of you. I would love to talk to you sometime. He gives me his card. I'm like, he's a state rep. I'm like, state rep? What is a state representative? I should know what a state representative at that time, right? It's unfortunate, but, you know, in the hood, we were not talk about, we, we were not taught about the political arena and congressmen and senators. Nobody knocked on my door mm-hmm. and said, hi, I'm Congressman so-and-so. I'd love to meet you. How are you? Let me tell you about, you know what, man? <laughs> Eventually, I told people once I got into politics, if I had known about the Constitution of America, if I had known the truth about America, how blacks and whites have fought together all through America to make our country what it is, America has not been perfect. America's like parents. Sure. I had to figure out that my parents were still growing up as they were raising me. That's mm-hmm. why they were making mistakes. And America's the same way, you know? If I had known the things that I know now, if I had known it then, I probably would have been the first black president because I really understand the, the, how amazing our country is. So this guy, man, he gives me his card and we're talking and um, we start meeting for coffee and we start hanging out, you know? And then we learned we were, we were born the same year. And then we learned we were born the same month and we were just a few days apart, right? And we were both born in the same city, Grand Prairie. Hmm. He was born on one side of the tracks, I was born on the other side of the tracks. And it was crazy how we just kept mingling and we were just, God was just moving in the relationships. So like after six months, he never pushed being, his party being a Republican on me. Um, I was a Democrat because that's what they told me I was, right? Yeah. You know? And I don't, I have a lot of friends that are Democrats. I have a lot of friends that are liberal. It doesn't matter, right? My thing is, it doesn't matter what party you would just do the right thing. Mm-hmm. What would God do? Mm-hmm. In that decision, what would he say, you know? Man, I looked at this dude after six months and said, man, his name is Rodney Anderson, one of my best friends. I said, Rodney, I think I'm a stinking Republican. <laughs> he says, I know. I said, why didn't you tell me? He said, I want you to find out for yourself. I said, I didn't even know what a Republican was, you know? Because <laughs> the belief system was so the same of what I believe versus what he was telling me and then what I was being taught and where I was. It's like, oh my God. Right. And then I go and start reading and I learn about Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass says, I'm a Republican and I can be nothing else. And I'm like, this guy was in slavery, comes out five years later. He's a motivational speaker. He educates himself. He meets the president of the United States of America because he's so articulate and so passionate and powerful with his speeches. I'm like, oh, my God, Frederick Douglass, if he, that's what he is. And then I learned Harriet Tubman, you know, Wentworth Cheswell. You know, I, let me ask you guys a question. And we're going into politics now, right? All right. 
because I had to study this. I wanted to know. Yep. It's like when I became a Christian I, and, and I learned that we were Jews by adoption, I started studying what a Jew was. I wanted to know what is a Jew if I'm a Jew by adoption, what mm -hmm. is a Jew, you know? When, when do you think the very first president, black president, and black judge in America was elected? When would you think? I feel like I've read this. And I know we're all over the place, but I'm, I got a lot of stuff in my head. Yeah. What would you think? <laughs> this is, this is the stuff that affected me. That's yeah. why I'm sharing it. I feel like I read it. It was like in the 1800s or something, right? You're close. Yeah. 1768. 17. Wow. wow. I read about Wentworth Cheswell as I'm reading and studying. When Paul Revere went one way saying the British are coming, there was a black man on the horse. Mm -hmm. Wentworth Cheswell went the other way saying the British are coming. Mm. I should have read that in school. Yeah. Are you why didn't you? Yeah, but why didn't you? Because they didn't want us to know that. Yeah. yeah. They want to have division. Yep. They want us to think that all blacks were slaves. Mm -hmm. Wentworth Cheswell was a, was a judge, uh, a, a justice of the peace. He was a constable. He, he, he served in office for over 30 years in New Hampshire. Yeah. Wow. 30 years. I had no idea about people like Benjamin Banneker. Do you know who that is? No. Nope. We should know that. Yeah. Benjamin Banneker is the black architect that designed the White House after it was burned down. If I had read those things in school, it would have encouraged me to know that, wait, hold on, all blacks were not just slaves. And by the way, America was the first country to ban the slave trade. Mm. We only received 3% of the slave trade. Europe received like 30%. Portugal, Brazil, the South, South America received 57% of the slave trade. But America was not about slavery. America was about freedom. Yeah. And slavery was never about a color anyway. It was about economical empowerment. Yeah. Well, why would you not want to get people to work for you for free? <laughs> right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But America said, no, we're not doing slaves. That was part of the breakup between us and, 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 and under the British rule is that, no, we're, we're not going to operate the way you guys are operating. We're going to operate the way we're operating, you know? You know, the, 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 revolution, the American Revolution, I mean, we read about... The, 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 the shot heard around the world, right? Yep. And I'm going to shift to the churches right now. These are things that everyone needs to understand about America. As I'm, as I'm knowing that I'm a Republican, I'm learning this and reading this. That shot heard around the world, the, I believe the battle is the battle of, battle of Bunker Hill? Battle of Bunker yep, Hill. Yep. Who do you think it was that fought in the Battle of Bunker Hill? I'm about to blow you away yeah, when I tell you this. There were no soldiers there. The British shows up, Reverend Jonas Clark in his church, all the men in his church got their guns and went and fought the British and won. Mm. I'm going to blow you away. It was a mixed church. Mm. It was a mixed church in the 1700s. Yeah. And then I read about a guy named Sir Lemuel Haynes, who was a black man in the 1700s, and he pastored 14 white churches. I'm like, where was this stuff? And why, right. why do we know things like this? Because when we know this, we understand the power of America and how we have all fought black, white, and brown together to make our country what it is. Yeah. Sure, there were bad people in our country. There are bad pastors, bad preachers, bad businessmen. There were some people on one side that said, no, we want slavery. But the other side, the Republican side said, no, we're not doing slavery in America. You don't believe it? Then well, let's go to war. Yep. <laughs> we're going to fight about this, right? right. Yep. Abraham Lincoln, I read about him, blew me away. He was a Republican. I had no idea about that. 
He signs the Emancipation Proclamation. He gets scolded by Frederick Douglass, who didn't know what the Constitution was. He goes in, he talks to Abraham Lincoln for like four hours. Abraham Lincoln says, you should read the Constitution for yourself. Because he's like, it's not doing this for black people and black people don't have... He reads the Constitution and says, oh my God, the Constitution is the greatest emancipation of proclamation. Mm -hmm. Things that, it says, we, you know, we, uh, we have a right to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. That, was, that wasn't the original context in the Constitution, but the Republican Party changed that. Yeah. It used to say we have the right to pursue life, liberty, and property. But people who wanted slaves considered slaves property. Sure. So the founding fathers said, no, 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 we're going to cancel that out. We're not going to say property. We're going to say life, liberty, and happiness. You know, these are things that motivated me and helped to change my life and take me, and it moved me to the protocol of the next level because now I want to fight for America. I want to fight for the people. For those that don't understand, those that, every day I have to say to myself, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Right. I'm not a Republican that criticizes and bashes people and says those Democrats and those people. No, 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 no. People are just uneducated. He says my people perish for one reason, and that's a lack of knowledge. Mm -hmm. yep. So as I began to educate, I uh, ended up meeting a couple of guys, and they made me the chair for the minority engagement program in the Republican Party. So I started educating people and minorities and whites on what America was really about. Because you, you guys don't even know some of the things I'm right. sharing with you, yeah. you know? And I got tons of more examples. I mean, uh, and as I did that, a few years later, uh, I joined the Republican Party of Texas and got on payroll as a minority chair, right? And this is, I got to tell you something crazy that happened here. Because I talked about in 1996, I would go to the White House. Mm -hmm. So in 2017, I think it's 17, 18. I am 19. I can't remember. I'm speaking. I'm traveling. I'm doing some things for the Republican Party. Well, I learned in Tyler, Texas, that President Trump was coming to East Texas, some other people, news media. And so they were like, hey, we want you to say five lines dealing with the minority engagement program. I was like, man, that's so cool. Really? But this one chick was like such a hater. She's like, oh, your past. You can't talk about your past. What are you talking about? Transparency is the key to success, right? Mm -hmm. My pain is my platform. I'm not ashamed of what I don't do anymore, right? Yeah. And we go down to Tyler. Cameras everywhere. She's like, look, you got to say five lines. Five lines, that's it. Cameras are here. There's liabilities. It calls a lawsuit to the party. You can't do this, right? And I'm like, okay, just chill out. It's okay. And one of the other ladies that she walks up, she was head over the party at the time up in D.C. She walks over to me. She says, you're Keenan. I said, yeah. She said, you're a minor. I said, how did you know that? She says, well, I've watched some of your videos on your, uh, your speeches, and I really do appreciate where you come from and what you're doing right now. I said, thank you so much, you know, and I appreciate that. And we're talking, and there's five minutes before I'm getting ready to go up to save my five lines, and this girl's on my butt, right? So... <laughs> Room's packed, man, there's cameras everywhere. And I'm feeling the whole time, like when I'm going to Tyler, I'm like, man, God, I think this is my opportunity. I know this is my opportunity. I don't know what it looks like, but I know this is my opportunity for a bigger stage, right? Not for myself, but so that I can touch more people. Man, this girl, this girl's coming around. Katrina Pearson is the last speaker. She's, the, she's closing the deal, right? Everybody's waiting. All in five minutes. The lady's there, I'm not going to say her name, she's one of the heads of uh, the Republican Party, 
She's actually handling the event. She's there. She's talking to me. The projector that has the five lines breaks. The girl who's running it, who's been on my butt the whole time, she never liked me. Right? She's in a panic. Oh, my God, the projector. Do you have the lines written down? You can't. You, you, you have to say, let me write everything. I was like, man, just, okay, just calm down. Now, remember, projector breaks. Lady just comes and compliments me. I find out she's over the Republican Party. and She's deserves to be in. Someone runs from around the curtain, comes over where she is and says, Katrina Pearson is sick. She's throwing up. She can't come out to speak. All of this is happening in five minutes. She looks at me and she says, are you ready? You ready for what? You're up. I said, you want me to do my thing? <laughs> and then the other girl's like, no, he can't do that. He doesn't know the protocol. He doesn't understand politics. This guy's, doing, you know. She says, I want you to get up there, and I want you to do what you do. Mm. Man, I got on the stage by God's grace. I knew it was my moment by God's grace. I get on the stage, and I'm speaking, and I'm pouring. I'm flowing, right? Fifteen minutes go by, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and end this. You know, you, and then everybody's like, no. Keep going. They're standing up. They're coming. End up pouring in everyone for about 40 minutes. Mm -hmm. Afterwards, there's a line of people wanting to take pictures. They want my autograph. I'm like, I don't need an autograph. You know, just, okay, let's just say hi. Guy comes over and says, hey, we want to see you in the back. One of the Secret Service guys. They pull me to the back. Now we're having a conversation about um, being a strategic director for President Trump. Long story short, I ended up becoming the strategic director for President Trump's campaign mm. and a surrogate and traveling and speaking for him. And I went to the White House. Mm. <laughs> but it took from 1996 to 2019 for the dream or the vision that God gave me to come true. Mm. And I work for the President of the United States of America. I'm the only ex-felon that has ever done that in the history of the United States. Mm. And I was the number one strategic director in the country. Wow. So more events, more data, more people, more everything. It was crazy to watch the grace of God move. And I would go into places, man, and I'll tell you what, I would see. I sensed the anointing. Everywhere I would go, I'd say, God, if you're not going, I'm not going with you. Mm. But I watched the power of God work, and it's been working ever since. Mm. So good, Kenan. Bro, thank you for sharing all that. I, yeah, that I've got, a lot. I went through it. I just kept going. Yeah, no, but that's, you were flowing, man. <laughs> Yeah, um, so good. I'm trying to mentally, I didn't write, bring paper to write, but I'm trying to like mentally take notes if I want to talk about this. I feel like there's like 45 new podcasts we could do together. <laughs> so <laughs> right. maybe we just make this the Keenan, Christian, and Riley show. Right. Um, but dude, uh, just f since it's fresh in my mind, um, the 1996, you had that thought, the, the vision of going to the White House. Do you th Was there any time over that 23 years that you remembered that? Or was it just like I'm, I'm continually just doing my thing, and then all of a sudden it was, oh yeah, I had that vision, that original idea, uh, or was it something that you clung to and you hung on to? I'm just curious of like your mindset during this process. The, the process of prison? Uh, no, no, no. From '96, it's like I'm going to the White House, and then did I you, prepared for that? Yeah. Did, so you were like for the 23 years, you're like. I'm going. I, I didn't know, know when, when it was going to happen, yeah. but I knew it was going to happen because yeah. God told me it was going to happen. Yep. I wouldn't have seen, I would not have been able to see. I put myself in the position of Joseph mm -hmm. and I started applying those principles. If Joseph can do it, 
so can I. A lot of times we don't understand what the protocol of the next level is in division. You got to know what that protocol looks like. Yeah. Remember the things that really, really affected me with Joseph, and I, and I was, this is this is what really made a difference for me, is. The Bible said that Joseph did two things. Two things. He shaved his beard and he changed his clothes. Mm-hmm. He said he cut his beard, and this is what this is why that those two things are so significant. Because to the Hebrews, the beard symbolized wisdom. Yep. But to the Egyptians, it was offensive. The clothes to the Hebrews that the Hebrews wore were their clothes. But to the Egyptians, it was offensive. Joseph understood the protocol how to go into the palace. And God shared with me, the same as Joseph cut his beard, what are you willing to cut out of your life? out of your culture, Mm. out of your past, out of what was great where you are to go where you're going to be. (laughs) Because a lot of times we don't want to let go of what we've had in order to get what God has for us. You got to cut some things off. Even you got to, the beard was the biggest thing to the Hebrews. For him to cut his beard means that he really honored the king. Mm. He honored palace. And I said, God, I'm going to honor the White House, whatever it takes. Brother, I had that, su- man, I, I had that super cool walk like Huggy the Bear. Yeah. <laughs> I was in the streets, right? <laughs> Fred Sanford, whatever you want to call it, yeah, you know? Yeah. There's only one guy that walked cooler than me, and that guy named Freddie, and he was so cool, he never made it to child. It took him so long to walk, you know? <laughs> but I remember with that walk, it, you, God dealt with me with that walk. I'm like, okay, I got to change my walk. I can't, this is this is not how dignitaries walk. I can't walk in the White House like freaking Huggy Bear, yeah, you know? Yeah. And, and I'm just reading one day. I'm reading about Solomon, something real simple, but it was in my head. And it said that Solomon walked into the temple. He ascended into the temple, and when he did, the queen of Sheba fainted. I said, I want to walk like that dude. Because mm. for that dude to walk and a woman fainted, he's a bad man, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So I, I wanted to change my walk. I needed to change my, my posture. Yeah. I, wanted, I had to change my clothes. You know, mm. I went to what was a blessing for me is I went to uh, Eagle Mountain Church, and I'll say the church, it's Kinnacopa Ministries, and I, never, I didn't want to go there. I didn't want to go there because they were very, very, it was a word of faith church, which is great. I love the word, but they were really, really white. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. real white, right? And when like, I came like cracker, out, you know, they were really white, you know, man, when I first went there, when I went there, you know, I was doing great with my company, but I still had, I still had that ghetto on me. I still had that hood swag, you know? So my pants were big. I wore jerseys. Yeah. I had the big K on my neck. I had the $200,000 super presidential watch with diamonds and, the Jew, right? Yep. That was cool in the hood. Yeah. But it wasn't presentable for the White House. And so God put me in this really, really white place. <laughs> and slowly, I didn't even realize what was happening. I started changing my style of dress. I cut my dreadlocks off. Mm-hmm. I stopped wearing jerseys all the time. Not that jerseys are bad. Not that big pants were bad. But every level or every place has a different protocol. Mm. If you want to go higher in life, 
you got to change your clothes. Mm -hmm. And I started wearing nice shirts, you know, different shirts, button downs, slacks, shoes. It's like, God, you know what? I want to go higher in ministry. You know, politics is ministry for me. And it's ministry for me, you know, because, you know, I was the guy, I, talk about, I talked about Jesus on the campaign. Mm-hmm. I, I held people accountable. Mm-hmm. You know, who do you think you are to criticize? And ju- when, when your criticism begins, your influence ends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. When you criticize, you cannot criticize an individual and then turn around and expect to win that individual for Christ or win them to your party. Right. So why do you keep criticizing? Yeah. Right? Who you offend, you'll never win. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I had to learn how to operate in the party and in that position. I never wanted to offend people. I wanted to bring truth, but I wanted to bring truth with conviction and not condemnation or, convi- you know, or criticism. And I still don't do it. You'll never look at my social media and see me bashing. You won't even see me bashing the president now, President Biden. I do not agree with him. I don't like his policies. I don't like what they're doing. I don't like any of that stuff. But you won't see me bashing him. And you know why I won't do that? Because God told me to honor the king. Hmm. I honor the office of the president. I don't honor his decisions because I don't agree with his decisions, but I still honor that office. That's God's way. And I know a lot of people, it's hard. Mm -hmm. But as Christians, if we're going to represent in every arena, because God needs us in politics. Mm-hmm. There was never a king without a priest. Matter of fact, the priest always chose the king. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, remember, yeah, yeah. Yep. remember the priest chose the king, uh, you know, and, and the priest was always beside the king. We have to make sure that we do things God's way to the best of our ability. So in the political arena, I'm a Republican, but I love Democrats. I love liberals. I love, it don't matter who you are, I love you. I may not like your action. I may detest your sin mm. or your policies that you're pushing. I don't fight people. I fight policies. Mm. Mm. When I started, when I, I see people fight, when, man, let me tell you something, brother. I, you know, being in, being in politics and being in the White House, there's very little difference between the Crips and the Bloods and the Republicans and the Democrats. Let's go ahead and yeah. elaborate. They remind me of gangs every time I go. Yeah. Mm. I see it all, all over social media. Every time I go to an event, every time I go, I, I have to, not that I'm the one to correct everyone, but if we're not bringing the love of Jesus Christ, if we're not bringing dignity and integrity and the wisdom of God, what are we doing? I, I, I told him, you guys are worse than the, the bloods and the crips. You fight. You don't like me because I wear red, and I don't like you because you wear blue. Mm. What type of mentality is that? You don't even know who I am yet. Yeah, yeah. Now, learn who I am, and if you don't like me, then that's cool, right? Mm-hmm. But how do I not like you because you wear blue? How do I not like you, or why am I not willing to listen to you because you're a Democrat? Or you're not willing to listen to me because I'm a Republican? No, let's sit down, and let's talk about it, and let's figure. The Constitution does not say we, the party. It says we, the people. Mm-hmm. And God has to remind. God reminded me of that when I got in politics. He said, hey, look, you're fighting for my people. You're not fighting for your party. Yeah, that's great. You got to be careful. You got to and quit, quit. You're fighting for the people. You're not fighting the people. Yep. You're fighting policies, but you're fighting for the people. Brother, we have to fight for people who don't know they need to fight for themselves. Mm-hmm. I was an idiot before I got saved. 
but Jesus died for me while I was an idiot. Yeah. He says, yet while we were sinners. Yep. And I think sometimes we forget that. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we cannot forget that. We, you can't separate God from politics. No, God is in politics. The, and the book of Isaiah says that when Jesus comes, the government would rest on his shoulders. Mm-hmm. That's why we got to be in the government. That's why I'm in the government. Because I want to bring the gospel. I want to bring the truth. I want to protect the babies. Not just protect the babies, but I want to deal with the people who have been born that are having issues. We got to help these guys who can't help themselves. If I can't, if I cannot, I have failed as an American if I don't help another American. You know, I did a video a while back about this African-American. I'm no freaking African-American. I ain't never been to Africa. (laughs) I don't know nothing about Africa. I don't even know any streets. Love Africa. It's Africa. I appreciate Africa. But I'm not an African-American. Right. I'm an American. Mm-hmm. You can't call me an African-American. That, you, you're, taking a, you're putting a prefix on the front of my Americanism. Now that means that I'm an African, but I'm just an, I'm really an African, but I'm, I'm in America. No, I'm an American. Yeah. I have constitutional rights just like everyone else has constitutional rights. I don't know anything about Africa. Right. I'm like American, man, 100%. European American. Do what now? It's like calling me a European American. Like what? Who does that? Over there. And where we get that crap from? <laughs> right. You know what is you know where it comes from? Division. Yeah, exactly. It comes from people that want to create division. I, when I fill things out, I don't even put down. When they say ethnicity, I don't even check anything off. Why do you need to know my ethnicity? Mm-hmm. Why don't you get to know me? Why can't you tell about me without telling me what color I am? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Describe me without giving the color. What's wrong with integrity, character, dignity, hardworking, right? Trustworthy, honorable. Let's, let's do that and let's get away from the color thing or the African-American thing. Or you, nobody, that, who does that? That's crazy to me. Yeah. Jesse Jackson started that crap years ago. Right. Mm. Yeah, which I think a lot of it comes down to, and maybe we could go into this for a little bit. I know this is getting probably long for our normal <laughs> podcast, um, but this is good stuff. I think a lot of it comes down to, the, the mindsets, obviously, that, you know, when we're born, it's not like we're born and we have any, any clue what's going on, but it's the indoctrination and the mindsets that we're given, whether it's a victim mindset or a victor mindset, yeah. and we become what, we, what we're around, like what we're habitually around, the, the thoughts, the actions, the things that we're accustomed to, we now just become ingrained into that mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. start to live in, for some, what may be a call a routine or which really would be like a rut that they're living in and they need to they need to be transformed by the renewing of their mind yes right so yeah. what yeah what is your your take on that or even for those listening that would be like I, I i get this this is actually what i agree with but what do we do about it like what because we are the king's council is about like hey we, we don't have any right to complain about what we tolerate mm-hmm. in our lives like we don't have any right to complain about it, so we've got to do right. something about it. And and how do we be more solution minded than even just pointing out? We can point out the problems, like there's t- lots of them. But what would you suggest that we would, we could do about this? Because now it's like it's it can be overwhelming when it's like okay, there's there's critical race theory, there's all this crap that we're just the being younger generation with. is being. What's that? That we're being bombarded with. Yeah, man, critical race. Why would you take Angie Mama off of the syrup? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know how mad she probably is? Mm-hmm. She's probably in heaven mad right now. <laughs> right. What are y'all thinking? Right. 
That was an honorable thing to have her on the seraph, you know? Yeah. Her family's upset about that. Hey, look, there were, there were even tearing down, what was the Confederate uh, uh, general they tore down? There was a statue. Oh. Um, what's his name? He's a general. They tore it down. Yep. If we allow people to tear down our history, we will forget where we've come from and where God has brought us to. Mm -hmm. So when I see that Confederate soldier, I see that statue, I don't see it and get angry. I see it and I realize how far America has come in its growth. Yep. And if, if America is bad, why are people swimming across alligators to get it? Right. <laughs> yeah. They're jumping over walls, man. They're getting shot at just to get here. Mm -hmm. America's the greatest place on earth. We're blessed. But here's the problem. If we don't change some things around, we're going to release the curse. I believe the curse is already being released. Mm. That's the church's fault. Yeah. Because mm. the leadership, the country is reflected by its leadership. Yep. Mm -hmm. It starts at the head and it runs into the body. Look what's going on right now. People talking about he, she, they, we. I don't even understand all that. Mm -hmm. I don't understand that. Well, you can't decide if you're a male or a female. God made that decision right. for you. Yep. Mm -hmm. That's why you were born, fearfully, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, if you choose to do something different, that's between you and God. I get that. I, I get that. But you can't decide if you're a male or a female. Mm -hmm. You're a male. And you're a female. God made that decision. He's pretty smart. Yep. Yeah, he's pretty smart. Yeah, 100%. I mean, there's so many ridiculous things that are going on in the world. And, and I think now even it's, it is, you know, I would say glorified even of like just the craziness that is, is taking place. And, and as the church, I completely agree with you. Like, <laughs> it's our fault, right? Like, if, if we we're have not to get come involved, together, man, it's yeah. God gave. Brother, God gave us the earth to manage. Mm -hmm. Gave the church the earth. Yep. Right? Yep. That was 100%. That was Jesus' deal. That was part of him. I get so not really upset, but I, 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 I really challenge people all the time, especially when I hear them say, I can't wait till Jesus comes back. Why? Mm -hmm. I'm not in a hurry to leave. I'm good. I like it here. Okay, I'm sure heaven is great, but I know it's great here, right? Yeah. We've gotten so caught up in the escapism of going to heaven that we've forgotten to manage the earth. Hmm. Yeah. What about the changing power and the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ that heals, that saves, that changes things, that moves things? What about that thing that he brought and says, I give you the keys to the kingdom? Mm -hmm. Thy kingdom come where? On earth as it is in heaven. Mm -hmm. We're supposed to do earth the way it is in heaven. This, we're, this is not supposed to be this way. He can't come back right now. Right. He wants to come back right now. His coming back is not even determined on the sin that's in the world. Yeah. He says he's coming back for a church without spot or blemish. Yep. Right? Mm -hmm. He's waiting on us. The Bible says that all of creation, all of mankind, it awaits the manifestations of the sons of God. When we find out who we are in him and those manifestations come, everything is waiting for that, even people who don't understand it. I could see the homosexual guy not knocking him, loving him, the girl, love him. But, man, it's just an identity crisis. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. 
It all boils down. Every trauma, every drug addiction, every crazy thing I've ever done in my life or anyone else has ever done, you can always take it right back to an identity crisis. That's why it was so important for me to learn who I am in Christ, yeah. my identity in him. I don't, your opinion to me will never become my reality. I'm not moved by what people say about me. If I were moved by that, I can't tell you the people that were like, oh, that's just jailhouse religion. Oh, you'll never become this. Oh, you'll never do that. Okay. I mean, I'm, that's fine you think that. Yeah. But just sit back and watch the glory of God. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Let's talk a little bit about, I, I'm, I'm loving this, and what we talk a lot about in the King's Council is um, really being, or the heart behind it is being the provision for the ultimate vision. So as we're talking this, like, uh, Christ is coming back for for a church that's unblemished. And it's like, okay, if we know that, like we're just three dudes right now. Like yeah. if we know that, we get that. The, I think the crew in here all knows that as well. How do we in become very intentional as the church in rallying the troops, like raising up this this remnant of like, let's freaking go. Let's do this. Let's become intentional. I think we got to stop pushing revivals. Mm, yeah, okay. I know this is touchy, yeah. I but like God it, told though. me a while back we don't need a revival. He said we need a revelation. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It's not about a revival. We need a revelation of who he is in us. The revival's not going to change anything. It's just a moment. <laughs> yep. It's just a slot, two hours, three hours, or four hours right there. We, we, need, we need a revelation of who he is. Right. Because when I wake up and I don't need you to love me, but I wake up to love you, you could never break my heart. Mm. You could never let me down because I don't depend on you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I depend on him. Mm -hmm. When I wake up to be more like him, it changes my life. It's all about relationship. Man, I was reading the scripture. I was getting ready for, to preach a sermon, and God says, don't you ever read my word to get a sermon again. You read my word to know me more, to more, know me more intimately. Mm. And then I memorize all these scriptures because everybody, and I've memorized a lot of scripture. I love memorizing scripture, right? Yeah. But he says, I don't want you to memorize scripture to quote it. I, don't want, you to, I want you to memorize scripture to know me. Mm. We got to shift that to yep. the intimacy with him. That's what changes the dynamics of wherever we go. When we walk in the room and we bring the presence of Jesus Christ and the power and that fire of the Holy Spirit that's in there, when we walk in, man, we're atmosphere changes. Yep. How, we should change the atmosphere every time we walk in somewhere. Yeah, amen. Whenever Jesus showed up, the devil ran to him. Mm -hmm. He didn't have to go find the devil. He, the yeah. devil, what are you going to do to me? What do you want me to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, this is my territory. What do you want me to do? <laughs> mm -hmm. Why? Because he walked in with that authority. God wants us to walk in with the same authority. So I've been shifting my reading. I've been shifting my... My prayer, you know, brother, I, I, God had to correct me on some of my prayers. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking that, man. Man, with complaining or some fears or some things yeah. I was dealing with, you know, and I'm taking it to him. He said, that's not prayer. Yep. You're not praying to me. You're complaining to me. You're not praying to me. You're telling me about your problems. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's not a good relationship if all he has to hear is about my problems all the time. Right? Yeah. It's not. Yeah. Or hear about the complaining. That's not a prayer. I'm complaining. I've been shifting that and, and just shifting to God. You know what? I thank you that you have made me above and not beneath. 
I think you've made me out of your image. I think that you're my father and you love me. Mm -hmm. I think that you're going to pour into me today and I'm going to pour in. Just, I've just been changing the dynamics of that because I just, I want to be more like him and I want to be more, I want to be a better me. My competition is never another person. My competition is myself. Yeah. How do I compete with me to become more like me? You know, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that's so good, man. And that's, that's so good because you mentioned the prayer thing and I was like, I literally had this discussion with my daughter like three nights ago where, you know, as she's 11 now, but a lot of things that we would pray for would just be like kind of just things like what we hope to happen or want to happen. And it's like, explaining to her now just because it's me just having revelation in my life of like my prayers are more of certainly just aligning with scripture like i'm going to speak those things that you said like yeah just declaring yeah. those things um but also then like god rather than changing the circumstances like i just pray for the grace and the change the, me change so me. i can change the circumstances yes yes yeah and yeah. just explaining that to my daughter like it it ministered to me of like good lord thank mm. you god that i like it's and I think all of the, I don't think I know all of this happened when I stopped looking to Jesus simply as Savior of my life, right, right, and now as Lord. And that's the difference, isn't it, man? That, oh my gosh, that's literally that's, that's everything. Yeah, there's and the person and there's the principle. That yeah, yeah. And, and so many times, and this is where it hit home to me. It's like as I'm reading uh, any reference to Jesus, it's not just Jesus as Savior. It's literally always Jesus as Lord, number one. And savior, savior part's done. He's already done his, he's done the Savior part. Yeah. Now it's making him Lord every day. Yeah. Right. All right, this has been a crazy, crazy good with Keenan here in the studio. So I think we're going to we're gonna dial this one down, and then next week we're going to come back with another episode. I'm going to dive deeper. You want to dive deeper yeah, into this stuff, absolutely. bro? absolutely. We're going to dive deeper into this with Keenan. So uh, stay tuned to next week's episode here on the King's Council Podcast. We'll see you guys then. Hey guys, if you're digging our content and want more, then join our community at joinkingscouncil.com or simply text the word KING to 727-472-3860. Go, 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 go.